And what a great prayer to lead us into the Word of God. I uh, want to speak to you this morning about our building program. Have you noticed what's going on out there? Doesn't that look great? I mean, black dirt. I think it looks fabulous. And they've dug a trench for the foundation. Uh, we've got a nice facility here. And it's, it's good, but we wanted to improve it. We wanted to enhance its effectiveness by adding an addition, creating an addition. And this addition is going to make this a more effective ministry tool for doing the work of God. And it's part of a master plan, actually. We've got a plan to develop the land and build the building. It's a building program. And we're excited about it, and it started. And by the grace of God, it will be done February. But the building program I want to talk to you about is not the one going on out there. It's the one going on in 2 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1. So open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, and let me tell you about God's building program for your life. While we're doing one out there, there needs to be one that is taking place in here, in our hearts. 2 Peter is the series that we're going through this summer. And I want us to see what this building program is all about. Beginning with verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And as I'm reading from the NIV, but I am making a few editorial comments as I go along. Someone is wondering, what translation are you using? Well, it's the NIV plus some commentary. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, who is both a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith just as precious as the faith we apostles have. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything we need to live a godly life. And it comes through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, or virtue, moral excellence. Through these, the glory and moral excellence of God, he has granted to us his very great and precious promises, so that through these promises you might participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires. Now, for this very reason, because of what he has granted to you, you now need to grant to him. You need to make every effort to add to your faith these seven qualities, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Let's stop our reading right there. Peter wants to develop <clears throat> three really important themes in the first 11 verses. The first theme we've already looked at, found in the first four verses, is the idea of the content of our faith. 
He has told us that we have been given a faith that is filled with everything we need to to live a godly life. This faith comes through the knowledge of God and it's planted in us. We have all that we need to live a godly life. And the faith we have is just the same as the apostles have. It's an amazing faith. What does he call it? Precious. We value this faith above everything else. It's worth incalculable. And that's the faith that you and I have. The content of our faith is through the knowledge of God and the righteousness of Christ. And by faith, he gives these wonderful gifts to us. But then he adds to that the conduct of our lives when we get to verse 5. He says, now you have this faith, and God has planted it in you. And for this very reason, I want you to add to your faith. I want you to improve it, to enhance it, or at least to develop and mature it. I want you to make it grow. And so he says in verse 5, for this very reason, because what I've put in you, I want you to give diligence or make every effort. The word diligence is often translated for this Greek word that in the NIV is make every effort. So, the conduct of your life is dependent upon you putting forth effort. To get saved, you do nothing. That's the work of Christ. Salvation is a free gift. It's not synergistic where you do a little bit and God does a little bit and together we create salvation. No, no. Salvation is the work of God. Salvation is of the Lord, Jonah 2, 9. There's nothing you do to get saved. But once you're saved, that's when the work starts. Now you need to enhance the faith, grow the faith, mature the faith, develop what God has placed in you. Now you need to get to work. And so he uses the word diligence. John Bunyan said, the soul of religion is the practical part. And what he meant by that was, you know, sometimes you can go to a worship service and there's great inspiration and your heart is moved heavenward and that's great, that's good. But the heart of religion, the heart of knowing God and living for him is the mundane hard work of every day reading your Bible and praying and saying no to the flesh and surrendering yourself to God. That's the hard work. That's the heart of religion. And it takes a lot of work. One of the philosophies that was popular years ago for a Christian was the the idea of let go and let God. And I understand what they meant by that. Too often we humans get in the way, we try to do the work of God, in the flesh, and we need to step back and let God work through our lives. I understand that, but I don't like the phrase because it's given some Christians the idea that the Christian life is, I'm just going to let go. I'm going to be passive. I'm just going to let God do whatever he wants to do. Peter says, no, no. You need to make every effort. You've got to give it all you've got. Focused Hard work. Diligence becomes the channel then for every grace that Peter is about to talk about. 
If you want this in your life, be diligent. Make every effort. Be focused. And then he also says in verse 5, not only are you to make every effort, but I want you to add to your faith. Now, faith is not defective or even deficient. But it is in seed form and needs to grow. So the word literally means supply. Add to your faith. Supply something. Furnish something. Provide is another good word. Now, I've put the, the Greek word up here because I think it's helpful for us to see. It's a compound Greek word. The heart of the word is koregeo. Kore is the Greek word where we get the English word chorus, right? Epi, the prefix, just uh, intensifies it. So it's the idea of a full chorus or the idea of a fully provided uh, something that is given to make something else complete, to complement, fully supply and furnish. You see, the Greek word actually comes out of the old Greek tragedies when Sophocles and Euripides were writing their dramas. And people would come from all over Athens in the height of its glory to watch these wonderful plays. But to make the plays really good, they wanted to add an orchestra or a chorus. Now, that makes sense. If you go to the Wharton Center and see some great musical, there's going to be an orchestra. The people are going to be singing. It enhances the play, doesn't it? It, it? it brings home the message of the play to our hearts as only music can. When you watch a movie, is there not a soundtrack? Try to watch a movie without the, the music, and you lose so much. And so in, in the day when Athens had these wonderful tragedies, Wealthy patrons would be asked to sponsor the dramas. Again, just like at the Wharton Center, you can see who's sponsoring that particular musical. And they would provide their funds to enhance the play by adding an orchestra or a chorus. Now, Peter takes that same word and says, your faith is the drama. Let's enhance it. I want you to add to your faith a chorus, an orchestra that will enhance and bring to life your story, that will be the soundtrack of your life, that will affect the hearts of others so they'll be drawn to the message. The chorus and soundtrack of your life are these seven qualities that Peter says you need to add to your faith. They're going to make it far more effective. This whole idea of supplying and adding to our faith causes me to think about the fact that there are two possible dangers when we talk about adding to your faith. The one danger is that we, we began to think that salvation, salvation is really something I work to achieve. Salvation by works is called legalism. And I do certain deeds to gain salvation. When people talk about working to get saved, when people talk about working, even in the Christian life, they often think they're one and the same. I'm doing these deeds to gain 
favor with God, to gain acceptance before him. And that's a real danger because the Bible is consistent. Salvation is by grace through faith. We cannot do anything to gain salvation. But once we are saved, that's when we begin to work. The other danger is that someone would think of a salvation that never works. Here the word is antinomianism. And we say something like this. Now that I'm saved, I do nothing. It's all of grace. I let go and let God. There's nothing I have to do. Antinomian simply means that the word namas is law. Anti is against. Ism means it's a way of life. And many Christians have adopted antinomianism as a way of life. I'm saved by grace, and it's grace all the way, and I don't have to do anything. My friend, that's not what the Bible teaches. You're saved by grace, yes. But once saved, now you need to get to work. Now there's a whole bunch of laws principles, rules to follow. Did you know in the Beatitudes there's a list of virtues that you need to adopt? In Galatians chapter 5, there's a list of the fruit of the Spirit that you need to experience and demonstrate in your life. And now Peter adds his list. Some are the same, some are different. But they're highlighting qualities of God that need to be reflected in the believer's life. That's what God has told us to do. We're saved by grace. Now get to work. If you were thinking that the Christian life was just all of grace and you could do nothing, once you're saved, there's nothing for you to do, no responsibility for you to take, you're probably saying this morning, nuts. I thought I could get away with this. Just kind of setting back and being passive. Peter says, well, you can do it, but there are consequences, as we're going to see a little bit later. This is the very thing that Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'm kind of, kind of out of sequence here, so if you could go back to that uh, verse. It's a great verse because it's the same thing that Peter's trying to get across. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to want to do something and have the energy to do it. So when we are saved, God has placed in us, as Peter says, all that we need to live a godly life. The faith is given to us. It's in our heart. It's in our life. But we need to work it out. We need to develop it. It's like a mathematical problem. We need to bring it to its logical conclusion. God has worked in, that's grace. Sanctification is, we need to work it out. We become partners with God. He even gives us the desire, and he certainly gives us the energy to do it, but we still need to get it done. And I think this is one of the greatest problems of Christians who attend churches like ours, who believe that salvation is by grace through faith, and once they're saved, they sit and they think that there's no energy to be expended. There's no effort to be channeled in becoming godly. That sanctification is not my work, it's only God. And God says, no, let's partner on this thing. So, what are these seven graces? And we just have time to look at them rather 
quickly? What do we have to add to our faith? What do we need to supply in a lavish way as a patron does a chorus for a play? Well, the first thing is goodness. It's the moral excellence that God displays already mentioned earlier on in the text. It's this idea of integrity, of honesty, and of purity. Peter mentioned it back in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. He says, we're a chosen nation, we're a royal priesthood, so that we could show forth the moral excellencies of God, the praises of him who called us out of darkness into light. You and I are to live morally excellent lives, pure and good. Now, when the world wants to make you feel bad, they like to say you're nothing but a do-gooder. That's a negative thing in our society. You're just a do-gooder. But where did that become negative? Did you know that only God is good and only God does good? And if you're doing good, you're displaying God. And being a do-gooder is one of the greatest compliments you could ever have. We are to do good in our neighborhoods. We are to do good at work. We are to do good at church. Just do what is morally excellent. And when you do that, that's like adding a beautiful theme, a soundtrack and theme music to your life, to your message. It connects with people. And we are to add this to our faith, moral excellence. Have you heard that phrase, random act of kindness? You just do something good for someone, not because they deserve it. Maybe they don't even know it. You just do it because God is good and he has saved you and you want to be like him. Add to your faith good deeds. Secondly, Knowledge. You need to add to your faith insight and experience, not just the facts. This word for knowledge is more than just taking in truth. It's living the truth out. Knowledge is not just knowing about God. It's knowing God. That's different. I can read a book that tells me how to swim. I can know all the strokes uh, I could pass a test. And if someone says, what kind of swimmer are you? Well, I know how to swim. Have you ever been in the water? No. But I've read the book. You know, if you jump into the water, you're going to find out that what you learn in the book, although helpful, is not quite enough, and it's harder to apply it than to know it. And people are attending church Sunday after Sunday, and they know a lot about God, but they've never jumped in the water and tried to swim. Their knowledge is not experiential. It's a knowledge that is borrowed. It's a knowledge that is only surface and not deep in the heart. Years ago, a famous actor was invited to a religious banquet, and he was sitting at the front table with an elderly minister. He did not know that the MC was going to invite the actor to come and say a few words, and this was a problem for him, because although he said he was a Christian, he was nominal at best. He grew up in a Christian home and knew some of the stories. 
But he, he, he didn't really know God, and he was embarrassed. He didn't know what to say, and he had a moment, so he turned to the elderly minister and said, what do I do? The minister said, take my Bible, read Psalm 23. So the actor got up, opened the Bible, and read Psalm 23, and it was one of the most beautiful readings you'd ever heard. Gorgeous, trained voice, diction perfect, em emphasis in all the right places, you see, he was somewhat familiar <clears throat> with Psalm 23. Not knowing quite how to get down after he finished reading the psalm, he looked at the minister and said, now the minister is going to get up and say a few words about this psalm. Well, the minister wasn't prepared to do that. So he stood up and on a moment's notice decided he would just quote the psalm, same psalm. He quoted Psalm 23 and then sat down. And the effect was magnetic. The actor leaned over to the minister and said, you did a lot better job than I did, and I know the reason why. I knew the psalm, you know the shepherd. And that made all the difference. For me to tell people that there's a God when I don't know God has no music to it. But if I'm walking with God, Oh, there's something that connects at a heart level when you share the truth about God. And so Peter says, add to your faith an intimate knowledge of God. Thirdly, self-control. Our society says you don't need self-control. In fact, whatever is in, in you, express it. It's hypocritical to not be who you are. You ever heard that? By the way, society's fine with being hypocritical on a bunch of other things, but on this one thing, letting the filth within you come out so everyone can see it, they say, be who you are. Express yourself. God says, no, one of the marks of my children is that they know they've got to control themselves. They've got to bite the tongue and swallow the words. At times, run away, not do what they thought they might do. The better part of wisdom shows moderation and control over one's spirit. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit, the writer of Proverbs says, is like a city broken down and without walls. Why, any enemy can come in and take over. And almost any philosophy gets in and takes over the soul that has no control. But the fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5 says, is self-control we are to say no to sin and we are to yield in an active way to the righteousness of god add this to your faith let it be part of your theme music oh and perseverance number four patient endurance content to have let god have his way in god's time in all matters of life that's patience patience is the voluntary daily suffering of hard and difficult things for the cause of Christ patience it's the hopeful endurance hope that things will be better enduring what is bad Jesus endured the cross same greek word despising the shame for the hope that was set before him the many souls that would be ransomed 
That kept him going. Patience. You have need of patience. You say, Pastor, who are you pointing to? I'm pointing to all of you. I bet 95% of the people, if I sat down and said, you have need of patience, you'd say, boy, you, you pinned me to the wall. That's true. I know that because I'm in the same boat. I have need of patience. I want my own agenda accomplished in my own time, and I haven't learned to wait contentedly on God. Add that to your faith. And then godliness just in a general way, acting godlike. When Paul was writing to his young protege in the faith, Timothy, who was pastoring a church in Ephesus, he said, Timothy, I want you to pray for peace so you can live a godly life. That's 1 Timothy chapter 2. In chapter 4, said, he said, Timothy, exercise yourself to be a godly individual. In chapter 6, he said, Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. So pursue godliness. It's where we display the character of God in every situation of life because we know him and his moral excellence begins to rub off on him, off on us. Because we are walking with him patiently and persevering when things don't always go our way. It's because we've got self-control to say no to sin, to repent when we do, and to walk under the control of his spirit. Six. Brotherly kindness. You know what the Greek word is for brotherly kindness? You do know it. It's the word Philadelphia. That's exactly how it is in the text. Oh, it might be pronounced a little bit differently, but it's the word Philadelphia. Did you know that the city of Philadelphia is the city of brother, brotherly love? And if you've ever been to Philadelphia, you know that it is not. They have one of the worst reputations uh, when it comes to sports. You know, they, they are vicious with their sports teams. And it's a tough place. But that's what it means. Love your brothers. That's the mark of a true child of God, that you love believers. Oh, I don't go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. Oh, really? God said go. You need them, and they need you. If there are a bunch of hypocrites there, maybe you can have a positive impact. If you're a hypocrite, you'll be at home. <laughs> Go. You see, God wants us to grow in community. And one of the marks of a true child of God is that we love the brethren. And even though the brethren are not always lovely, we are not always lovely. We need one another. That's why the Lord said, don't forsake gathering together as believers because when you gather, someone has something they can bless you with and you have something you can bless someone else with. You say, well, I can get along without, without being at the service today. I'll just read the Bible myself and God will bless me. Yeah, but what about something you were going to give to someone else and you can't do it because you're not there? Oh, I, I wasn't thinking about giving. I was thinking about getting. <laughs> That's part of the problem. Why do we gather? To receive and to give. To give praise. To give encouragement. To receive grace. Commune with God. And to receive encouragement. 
Brotherly kindness. Add that to your faith. You need it. And then the last one is agapao love. Love is putting others above ourselves. Love, Peter wrote in chapter 4 of his first epistle. Love covers a multitude of sins. It's where we are willing to act in a selfless way so that others benefit. If you don't know what love is, read 1 Corinthians 13. And that's the definition of love. So here are these wonderful qualities that we need to add to our faith. Let's review just briefly. The content of our faith is described in the first four verses. And then the conduct of our life, verse 5 through 7, adding these seven things to our life. Now Peter brings up his third theme, the consequences of our actions. What will happen if we add these seven things, these seven aspects of the chorus to the drama of our life and our faith. What will happen? Well, verse 8 says, we will be spiritually productive. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, I'm glad he didn't say you had to have so much of it. He just said, it needs to be growing. And, and if they're increasing in your life, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord, and it's the knowledge of God that gives us multiple grace and truth, verse 3. It's the knowledge of God that helps implant in our soul all that we need to live a godly life. We won't be unproductive, which means we'll be fruitful. Our lives will be growing. And what happens when you bear much fruit? John 15, you glorify your Father who is in heaven. Wow! If I add these seven things to my life, you mean that I'm going to be fruitful and productive and God is going to be glorified? That's exactly right. And something else, too, I'll tell you in just a minute. But verse 9 says, if you don't add these things, you'll be spiritually confused. If you don't have these, you'll be nearsighted to the point of being blind. You won't be able to see. You won't be able to see that your sins are forgiven. You will forget that you have been cleansed from your past sins. Now, it says that the person has been cleansed, but it says that they've forgotten they've been cleansed. What are we talking about? Assurance of salvation. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But just to let you know that one of the reasons some of you feel so unproductive in your life is because you're not adding these seven things to your life. And not only do you feel unproductive, you're not even sure you're saved. And that's the way it's, it's going to be. God said it. It's not that these seven things give you salvation. It's these seven things demonstrate you are saved. It's what Christians do. And if you're not adding these to your life, maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you're not. I don't know. Only God knows. But I know this. Your assurance of salvation is going to be shaken. And that's a pretty serious thing. And so he tells us, as we're going to see next week, we need to make sure that we're believers. Verse 10 so that we don't fall, we've got to add these seven things to our life. And then notice verse 11. 
He says, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Get this. And I hadn't seen this before, but I thought this was pretty amazing. In verse 5, the word add to your faith, we mentioned was the, the Greek word, right? Epikoregeo, intensified chorus, right? That same Greek word is found in verse 11 and is translated receive. In verse 5, we do the adding. In verse 11, God does it. God does the supplying. So what does that mean? Well, I think it means something like this. If we are going to supply or add to our faith these seven qualities, God says, I am going to supply to you a rich welcome when you come into my kingdom. It's not that you earn your salvation. We've already discussed that. We're saved by grace, right? But if you're adding these things to your life, God says, I'm going to supply for you a rich, lavish welcome into heaven. I'm going to say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And my friend, there's nothing in heaven you want other than that, to hear your master say, well done, right? That's heaven itself. How do you get the rich welcome? How do, how do you have God supply all these wonderful things to make heaven so glorious and the welcome so rich? Add these seven things to your life. You say, Pastor, that sounds like a work salvation. You haven't been listening. <laughs> We're saved by grace and grace alone, but once saved, get to work. It's time for the building program. Oh, by the way, I've decided that what we've done over here is enough. We're done with our building project outside. The grading's enough. We've got a little trench. No foundation yet poured, but that's okay. We're done. You guys have given to the church toward the $1 million goal for this year, well over 700000 I didn't even look to see what it was today. Oh, that's okay. Thank you for your money. We're done. We're not going to build anymore. What would you say to that? You'd throw me in jail. Right? The building's not done. Bingo. That's what Peter's saying. Are you saved? Great. You got some footers. Now let's build the building. Put the addition on. I've given you everything you need. Now get it out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that gives us so much. Oh, that provides for us all that we need to live a godly life. Thank you for your salvation that is free. Now, Lord, help us focus on sanctification that we might add to our faith those qualities that will give, give theme music to our faith and life and connect the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who have never heard. Lord, give us productive lives, assurance of our salvation, and a boldness to confront this generation with your wonderful gospel. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.